Hi everyone, thank you for joining us on Eagle Eye today. Every week we have exclusive interviews with your favorite BC student athletes, professors, alumni, and more. Make sure to follow The Heights on Instagram and Facebook to recommend guests you'd like to hear from. You can catch up on the latest headlines on The Heights Facebook and Twitter pages every Monday. Today is exciting because we have a special guest, Dr. Emra Altindis, an assistant professor of biology at Boston College. Professor Altindis specializes in research about how microbes replicate human proteins, including human hormones, and how such replications affect a variety of human diseases. And his recent publication concluded that a gut microbe may contribute to developing type 1 diabetes. Uh, thank you for joining me, uh, Professor Altindis. Hey, Amen. Thanks. Um, so to start things off, um, I know uh, recently you made a big publication about um, kind of your research into type 1 diabetes and the possible um, effects that contribute to maybe developing that disease. Um, so what is type 1 diabetes, if you had to explain it? Yeah, so type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease. But what is an autoimmune disease? So the, one of the main functions of the immune system is to recognize who is what is self and what is non-self. So this recognition is very important so they can recognize microbes and attack them, but they never attack to our own cells. So when this system is impaired, the immune system starts to attack our own cells and cause autoimmune diseases. For instance, multiple sclerosis, celiac disease, type 1 diabetes, these are autoimmune diseases. And in type 1 diabetes, there's a trigger that we have no idea about that stimulates this autoimmune response. And our immune cells starts to migrate into the pancreas, specifically inside the islets, and kills the only cells that can produce insulin. Because we do not, because these cells are killed by the immune system, the body cannot produce any more insulin and develops type 1 diabetes, which the blood glucose levels cause up and it causes several issues with hyperglycemia. So this disease is affecting 1.5 million Americans at this moment. And according to the JDRF, a foundation working on type 1 diabetes, there will be more than 5 million Americans that will have this disease in 2050. And because we have no idea about the trigger of the disease, we have no tools to prevent this. Yeah, so you discovered, um, basically, you focused on one type of bacteria in particular in your research, um, where you focused on the bacteria called, um, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing this, but uh, para, Parabacteroides uh, distasonis. Um, right. um, what was your kind of approach to finding how this disease correlated to type 1 diabetes, and um, what was your kind of testing process like? So, Eamon, when you see an individual, for instance, now you see me and I see you, we see just one individual, one organism, a homo sapiens animal. But actually, we are much more than that. In the last 40, 50 years, we came to understand that we are a super organism that is surrounded by microbes. All our surfaces are surrounded by hundreds, thousands of different species of viruses and bacteria. This is also the same for gut microbes. So these gut microbes are helping us for digesting the food, their education are educating our immune system. But in the last, again, 10, 15 years, we started to understand that 
they change with the diseases. When people compare the gut microbiome composition of healthy individuals and compare them to a group of patients, it might be type 1 diabetes patients, gut microbiome, or another disease, they started to observe big differences in terms of the composition of these microbes. Then the question arises, is it chick or egg? So they have different gut microbiome compositions because they are dealing with a disease or they have this gut microbiome composition that makes them sick. So the, there has been research going on this in different diseases, including metabolic diseases, cancer, autoimmune diseases. And I'm trying to understand a link between gut microbes and type 1 diabetes. So the previous research already established the fact that there are differences and associations with some microbes, but I'm, I was specifically looking for a causal link. And to do this, I, I focused on one mechanism called molecular mimicry. So in this autoimmune disease mechanism, if there is a, if you have a protein, let's think that my hand is <clears throat> this, my right hand is this self protein, a cellular protein, if there is a bacterial protein, let's say my left hand, is very similar to this cellular protein, then the immune system will not be able to distinguish between these two. So instead of attacking to the bacterial protein, and then it is triggered, or a viral protein, it will then continue and attack to the similar protein in your body. So this is a way of that autoimmune diseases might start. So I thought that an insulin is the main target of the immune system in type 1 diabetes. I thought that there might be some insulin-like molecules in microbes. So based on this hypothesis, I discovered that viruses make insulin. So this is another exciting project going on in my lab. But I also realized that in the gut microbes, there are some insulin-like small peptides. So we, test, we tested some of these peptides and realized that only one of them in Parabacteroides testosonis, it is a gut microbe that you and I probably have it, now have this bacterium in our guts, carries this peptide and the immune system thinks that it is insulin peptide. So we thought that maybe this is the trigger of the autoimmune response. When we give this, bac when we give this bacterium to the mice, that is the main animal model of the disease, NOD mice. It accelerated the disease onset, indicating that it might have a role in type 1 diabetes onset. So I will not continue to talk about this. I know you have questions. So, okay, let's continue with the next one. Uh, no, that was, that was really great to hear about. Um, I know you talked about testing within the mice, um, kind of injecting the mice with this bacteria beforehand. Um, what were kind of the findings that you found? I know that you found um, that a good number of the mice um, develop type 1 diabetes after a certain amount of time. Um, do you think that can correlate highly to humans as well? Or is it um, kind of a different process or, or just an indication um, that humans having the bacteria may also correlate to type 1 diabetes. So we give this bacterium not by injecting, but by oral gavaging. So it means that with a tube, we fed mice with this bacterium every day to make sure that the bacterium will be able to colonize their gut microbiome. So it will colonize that and start to live in the gut. 
we achieve this. So the we do all these experiments in the animal care facility at Boston College here at Higgins Hall. So we organized them. They were able to colonize the gut. And we compared this group that has the parabacteroides dystosonis with the group that doesn't have it and compared to type 1 diabetes rate. And it is increased in NOD mice. Then we collected the immune cells from these mice to understand what happens when there is parabacteroides dystosonis compared to the control mice. And we show that very strong immune cells that play a key role in type 1 diabetes are increased. So these are CD4 and CD8 T cells. This is too technical, I'm aware. So I will try to avoid technical language. And the regulatory T cells that goes, uh, goes there and tells other cells to calm down, so they are anti-inflammatory, are decreased. So these are the good T cells in an autoimmune disease. They are decreased and other cells like macrophages and dendritic cells are increased. So parabacteroides dystosonis colonization really stimulate the inflammation in the mice. So back to your question, how this is relevant to humans, right? This is the second, so we show this in mice, but why is it important for a human disease? First, this is the best animal model that we have, but I think the question is still valid and relevant. So to answer this question, we downloaded the data from another study called, called Diabimmune. In this study, the researchers collected samples from three different neighbor countries in Russia, Finland, and Estonia. In each country, they had 72 babies and they collected samples from the birth to age three, and they collected samples every three months. They collected fecal samples. The reason why they chose this region is while Finnish Karelia, like the, the, there's a border that is separating Finland and Russia, and there is a country or region called Karelia. In Finnish Karelia, the type 1 diabetes rates are six times higher than the Russian Karelia. These are the same people, but there, there should be some environmental factors that is affecting the type 1 diabetes rates. And in Estonia, after the Cold War, now they are, their diet is changed, their lifestyle is changing. So the type 1 diabetes rates started to increase. So using this microbiome data that gives the information about the types of species in the gut, we ask this question, is parabacteroides dystosonis more abundant in the gut microbiome of children that are developing type 1 diabetes? Or specifically, this insulin-like small peptide is more abundant? And we show that if a child, a baby, has this peptide in this bacterium that is carrying the peptide in the gut microbiome in the first three years, it is risk of developing type 1 diabetes is significantly increased. So by using this data, then we had this translation from mouse to human and show that by having this bacterium in early age, the, the risk of developing type 1 diabetes is increasing. So this was very exciting finding for us. Yeah, it's, it's really great, um, especially because of, as you mentioned, how prevalent type 1 diabetes is. Um, I know you also can, uh, found that the gender of the mice, so female mice 
um, were more likely to develop type 1 diabetes when injected uh, in comparison to male mice. Do you think that um, this rate would also be similar to humans as well, um, or is it is it too different to tell? Yeah, because men have dominated science and politics and everything for a very long time. The woman health was ignored and uh, all the research was going on male subjects or male mice. So now in the last 15, 20 years, NIH is pushing researchers to make sure that the research will be equally focused on men and women, or if it's a mouse model, females and males. So that's also why we have all male and female mice. So the real model of type 1 diabetes is female mice in NOD mice. They develop high rates of type 1 diabetes, and we increase the diabetes in these mice. In humans, most of the autoimmune diseases are more prevalent in women compared to men, but this is not the case for type 1 diabetes. It is either equal or men might have a bit more type 1 diabetes compared to women. So it is not like mice for human type 1 diabetes, but for instance, for celiac disease, women have more celiac disease compared to men. It's so difficult to tell, I'm sure from your perspective as well, how exactly which factors contribute to the disease, especially this one bacteria may be kind of difficult to, to as you said, um, like the chicken and the egg, like making a, a causal effect rather than just a correlation. So yes. it's really interesting. Um, I guess from an outsider looking in, would you say that um, if if a human did obtain the bacteria, um, would it be possible to reverse, um, you know, say maybe extract it from a human and and avoid maybe um, obtaining the risk of of getting type one diabetes in the future, um, or is once you have the bacteria, it's set and um, it's just kind of a delayed process that you have to wait and see if it develops into anything. Yeah. First of all, Eamon, let's go back to the main question. What causes type 1 diabetes? The short answer is we have no idea. We don't know what causes type 1 diabetes. This is a very old disease. Diabetes mellitus is a Greek name that's coming from 3,000 years ago. Egyptian scientists, the Egyptian medical doctors, Chinese medical doctors, Greek medical doctors. I'm talking about the ancient doctors. They knew this disease, and we still have no idea about the about the trigger of the disease. So there might be some genetic factors contributing to this, and researchers have identified several genetic factors, but genetics alone cannot really explain the disease and the increasing rates of type 1 diabetes. So the incidence of type 1 diabetes is increasing in the industrialized world. All autoimmune diseases actually are increasing, and genetics alone cannot explain this increase. So we think that there should be some environmental factors. So these environmental factors might be related to diet, related to um, microbes there you are exposed to. This might be either infections, viral or bacterial infections that you have had, or there might be the gut microbes that are related to that are already your commensals living with you. And the gut microbiome composition will be again affected by your diet, but also the antibiotics that you were exposed to or the, med the drugs, med the medicines that you have used. 
So it is very dynamic. So I ask if the parabacterial dysdysonis might be one of the factors, and it might be, but this is a very complex disease, and I believe that there are different triggers of the autoimmunity. It is not just one thing. If we can prove in the future that parabacteroidus dysdysonis is really the trigger of type 1 diabetes, then we will try to make some specific drugs, therapeutics that are targeting this bacterium that will, or try to find a way to avoid being exposed to this bacterium at early age. But this is a preclinical basic science study, and we have still several steps to prove this causal link, and we are working on these experiments. Right, exactly. I, I know it's a very difficult process. I know, I think you mentioned in an article, like, there is no way you could actually inject maybe like a three-year-old with the bacteria, because that's, obviously, there are problems with that, um, but oh, okay. that would, that would make it easier. <laughs> we cannot do this experiment, yes. Back to, um, I guess, measuring kind of the prevalence of the bacteria in infants, um, because I know you um, kind of looked into the age factor if um, infants younger than, say, three years old um, who had P. decessonis had a higher chance of getting type 1 diabetes or not. Um, if you're younger, do you, do you think you'll have a higher chance of getting the bacteria or is it is it all just kind of um, uncertain? As I tried to explain with this Estonia-Russia-Finland study called Diabimmune, uh, we show that if you are exposed to this bacterium in the first three years of life, the chances, the risk of, in, of getting type 1 diabetes is increased. We didn't check this for other ages. Like, is it also true if until 10 you are exposed or is really 0 to 3 is the critical time point? So we need to, now we are trying to, to set up some collaborations to get some data from other gut microbiome studies, type one, focusing on type 1 diabetes. We are trying to get the data from Teddy to try to see if first we can reproduce what we identified in a different data set. And second, we will try to have a larger data set and see if it is the first three years or even maybe in the first 10 years is critical for this or not. If we can reproduce our data and if this is still a risk factor in a big, larger study, another study, then we will feel more confident about this relationship between this bacterium, this insulin epitope-like peptide and type 1 diabetes. Um, in the meantime, in for individuals hoping to prevent obtaining that bacteria, is there anything you know, humans can do to, to kind of stay away from that or, or to not um, be exposed to it? So first, probably you and I, I have it. So this is a human gut commensal. So human, most of the human humans have it in their gut. And because we couldn't show any causality, you don't need to worry about it at this moment. It is okay to have it. But in general, several Research articles have shown that there is a the, the, there is a good association with a more diverse gut microbiome, less inflammatory gut microbiome composition and health. So and it comes back to diet. So what you eat determines the, your uh, gut microbiome composition. 
and your gut microbiome composition is really important for educating your immune system and also controlling, regulating your inflammation. So to have a healthy microbiome, and don't forget that what I said at the beginning, for instance, Eamon, you are not just one organism, so you are a super organism. So you need to think about your gut microbes when you are eating or drinking. So you are feeding them. So if you want the good friends to be in your gut, so you need to behave well and eat a good uh, nurturing diet for them. And for instance, if you start to, for instance, we have studies showing that type two diabetes patients, which is a metabolic disease or obese patients and other metabolic, metabolism related disease, their gut microbiome composition is less diverse, more inflammatory, and you would like to avoid this kind of gut microbiome because studies have shown, I'm also teaching a course on gut microbiome. Several researchers have shown that if you get fecal samples that have the microbes of the gut and transfer it to another mouse model that we use in the in the lab called germ-free mice that doesn't have any microbe. So it is the only organism in this world without a microbe. So if you transfer it from an obese mouse to germ-free mouse or an obese human being to a germ-free mouse, the mouse becomes obese. So we also show these causalities. So try to be a good friend of your gut microbiome. Right. Um, I know, I, I think you, you wrote in an article, um, yeah, when you obtain the disease, it causes the good cells to be decreasing and the bad cells to be increasing. So yes. that's a very, very good way to put it. Um, yeah, of course, good and bad means like the inflammatory cells scientifically are increasing, anti-inflammatory cells were decreasing. And this is something that we do not want to see during an autoimmune disease progression. Of course, when there's a viral infection, we want a good immune response and these inflammatory cells to increase. But then in an autoimmune disease, we want to control the inflammation and decrease the autoimmune response. Right. Um, and as far as your, your future research, um, I know, I think you mentioned um, you're continuing to um, go into the, the further stages of developing um, or researching into this microbe. Um, where, do you, where do you hope to see your research go? Um, and do you hope to continue with this or, or explore different avenues? So we, I'm very interested in this question because most of the type 1 diabetes patients are diagnosed when they were still children. And this is a very difficult disease. It's a chronic lifelong disease that the patients need to have insulin injections daily and they need to check their blood glucose daily. So I want, I want to contribute understanding of this disease. So we have other projects related to this. I'm still, we, have, we, we follow, we already set up some follow-up experiments and a PhD student in the lab, Audrey Randall is running these experiments. Also Dr. Kiati Girdar, the first name in this article and a postdoc in the lab, she's also completing other sets of experiments. Our goal is to, to, to strengthen this causal link between this bacterium and type one diabetes. So, so we have 
been working on some follow-up experiments. And if we can prove this, we will continue. We are also, we will continue to do some maybe preclinical and some clinical work. We will see. We are also working on a project to determine the role of human viruses in type 1 diabetes onset. This is also going, going on in collaboration with one of my colleagues, friends, Jason Ladner. So the question is there, and I hope we will be able to contribute it. And if we can understand the cause of the, the disease, then we will be able to develop some tools to prevent it. Now we are totally blind in terms of understanding, so in understanding this disease, we have no idea what causes it. Yeah, it's it's very important research, obviously. So uh, thank you, thank you for talking about it and um, doing it. We really appreciate it. Um, Thanks for inviting me. It is great that with the COVID nineteen crisis, which is an ongoing pandemic, and with long COVID, it is becoming even I think more dangerous. We understood that we scientists have problems in terms of communicating our science to the people. So these kind of opportunities like what you are doing now is extremely important that to communicate our science to the people and we, we saw the effects of the misinformation about science during the pandemic we still see it so thank you for inviting me and giving me this opportunity to talk about our research of course, yeah. It's it's been it's been a pleasure. I I don't know much about it myself, so it's great to learn from from myself. But thank you. Um, yeah, I, that's all of my questions. Unless you have anything else you want to add. So, any so science is very collaborative, and we wouldn't publish this article or complete this work without our collaborators and the very hardworking people in the lab. Uh, you are an undergraduate student, so two undergrad students contributed to this research and they become co-authors in this study. I think we acknowledge four or five also undergraduate researchers in this paper as well. Thanks to Kiati who led the study in the lab. And thanks to our research uh, collaborators in Benaroya Institute, William Kwok, and University of Florida, Mark Atkinson. Thanks to our uh, flow cytometric core director, Patrick. So thanks to our collaborators. So this is one thing to emphasize. The second thing is that these are pre-clinical studies. So we didn't prove that there's a link between diabetes, type 1 diabetes, and this bacterium, but our study indicates this. But let's don't oversell. But like I, let's make this very clear that this is a preclinical study and hopefully the next steps will really show that there's this link. And the third thing is that the most important discovery in diabetes field or type one diabetes field was insulin. It was discovered in 1921. And today in the United States, some people die because they cannot afford their insulin. So I think this is a shame for all of us that people die because they cannot afford the medicine that they daily need. And there's several campaigns about this to make sure that insulin will be affordable. And I fully support these initiatives because I feel they're suffering, like the people suffering. The, I think that when the when the three, four scientists discovered insulin, they wanted it to, it to be accessible to all patients. 
but it is 2022 and unfortunately it is not the case yet. So yeah, we, we definitely hope, you know, it, it becomes more accessible in the future, although there, there's a long road there. So um, yeah, but uh, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, can't wait to see um, your fur further research as, as far as it goes. Okay, thank you so much, Eamon.